so excited to preach today on the last day of the year to help us finish the year strong. And uh, Pastor preached an incredible message a while ago where he taught us this truth that how we exit one season determines how we enter the next season. And so I want to help us finish strong because it matters. It matters how you finish a year. It matters how you finish a day. It matters how you finish a season. I want to help you finish well today. And I love this time of year. Maybe you don't, and that's okay. But I love New Year's. Does anyone else love just New Year's? And that's like maybe that was like 30% of us. So maybe I'm in the minority or you're just not uh, engaging, but that's okay either way. Um, I love it, you know, setting new goals, setting new uh, vision for the next year. You kind of put a, I like it, you put a reset on like whatever you were doing. You can start something new and start something fresh. You can build on habits you do have or uh, change the ones you don't like. I love that. That's how I'm wired. I, I just love habits and, and, and things like that. And I want to clarify, though, that um, I'm not talking about habits today. And so I want to clarify what that means. I'm talking about something different that I want to call it vision, vision for your life. And um, so it's God's vision for your life versus like New Year's resolution and habits. And both really, I believe, are essential for our Christian walk. I think you need great habits, God-honoring habits, Everybody, every, hopefully everybody buddies can say amen to that. We need God-honoring habits, and habits are just things that we do consistently every day, right? It's the things you do consistently are habits. What I want to talk about is vision, and it's kind of hard to uh, maybe put it in a definition, um, but what I would say is um, vision is that thing that it's like an ache in your heart. It's the thing that keeps you up at night. The thing, that, the, the itch maybe that you can't scratch. It's the thing that you feel like God has called you to do, and if you don't do it, you're being disobedient. That's what I want to talk about with vision. It's maybe, maybe a, a good way of putting it is more of a macro uh, way of, of God giving you vision for your life or dreams for your life. And ha- habits are more of the micro day-to-day, how you get to that vision that God has given to your life. Are you tracking with me? The difference between vision and habits. I want to talk about vision today. And the score, the story in the scripture that I want to look at today is a a great, great passage and great book of the Bible in the Old Testament uh, called Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, he gave, uh, God gave Nehemiah a very specific vision Nehemiah immediately got to work, and Nehemiah finished well. And this was the story of Nehemiah. And I want to give you some context of Nehemiah. Um, this is stuff that I had researched this, this week that I thought was fascinating that helped me in preparing for the message. So it's, again, book in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at the thing he was best known for. Maybe you know it. It's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. So how did they get broken? So the, basically, Nehemiah was after the judges, he was after the kings, and then it was during uh, the Babylonian empire, or the exile that happened in Israel. So 
Babylon attacked Israel in about 605 BC. This is when the first wave of exiles was taken to Babylon. This is Daniel. So you, you might know Daniel in the lion's den. That was 605 BC, the first wave of exiles. And then this, 20 years later, 586 BC, Jerusalem was destroyed, completely destroyed by Babylon, and the rest of the exiled Israelites went to Babylon. So uh, Jerusalem, the, the hub where Solomon's temple was, this great place of God's faithfulness, everything was destroyed. The walls, the temple, and um, again, the people were, had to leave the city because it was completely destroyed. They were taken into exile. So then there was later waves of exiles that came back to Jerusalem in the next 130 years or so. So our story today so starts in 445 B.C., around 141 years after the walls of Jerusalem were destroyed. And this is what it says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And we'll put it up on the screen so you can read it with me. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. This is Nehemiah talking, he says in verse 4, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And so I want to key in what he said in verse 4. He said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And I mentioned this before, but that's basically the essence of how a God-honoring vision starts in your life. And when we hear of something that is broken here on earth that needs to be set right, to honor the kingdom of God. That is a God-honoring vision. God has created every single one of this. Listen and look at me for this. This is so important. God has created every single one of us with a unique purpose, with unique giftings to make this earth more like heaven. Did you hear me? So this earth more like heaven. And that's what vision is. Vision is taking the brokenness of the earth that used to be whole, but now it's broken, and making God use, using our God-given gifts and purpose to make it look more like heaven. So that, again, is vision. And, and the, the things that I kind of give you some examples of, it could be a nonprofit that maybe is born on your heart, to start, to help kids who ordinarily wouldn't graduate, graduate and get to their dreams. That's a a God-honoring vision. Maybe it's uh, creating a team here at Velocity that helps the kids with special needs and special accommodations experience the life-changing message of Jesus. Maybe it's uh, a book that needs to be written. Maybe it's songs that need to be written or an album that needs to be produced. Maybe it's a building that needs to be built. 
Maybe it's a business that's already in your industry, but you create it, and it's actually God-honoring. It's actually honoring with finances and culture. This is what I'm talking about. Are you picking it up? And so this is kind of a message for the dreamers in the room. But I also want you to know that every single person is designed to make earth more like heaven. This is vision. And then I want to pick, off where we left, pick up where we left off in verse 4. It says, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now before Nehemiah did anything or put anything into action, he fasted and he prayed. And before we start anything in the new year, I want to invite you to what we're going to do. We're going to fast and pray as a church. And uh, pastor is going to give more details about this next week, next Sunday. But what I want you to do is to block off Tuesdays in January, starting on January 9th. So Tuesday, January 9th, that's when we'll start praying together as a church. We're going to set a, a block of time before work, and we're going to set a block of time after work to meet in this room to pray and ask God to help us in our year, to seek God first in our year. And so I want to invite you to do that, more info to come next week. But let's keep reading about one of the things that Nehemiah did after he got the vision from God. In this next passage, Nehemiah had just asked King Artaxerxes if he would permit him to leave his post as cupbearer to the king so he could go back to Jerusalem. So much like Daniel, maybe you've heard of Daniel, who was the second in command in his time of exile, or Joseph, who was second in command to the Pharaoh, Nehemiah at the time was a second chair leader. And what I love about this is this means that it doesn't just have to be the person at the top of the org chart that has vision. It doesn't have to be the person with the title who has a God-honoring vision for their life to make earth more like heaven. And so I want you to catch this, that God has vision for your life. He wants you to have vision for your life. (coughs) And the king permitted him to leave, and this is what Nehemiah said, and asked for. In Nehemiah 2, verses 7 through 9, it says, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, So he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And I'll stop there just for today. And what I want you to see from this passage is that vision requires resources. He went to the king and asked for things to rebuild the wall. And this is a really bold thing. This is a king that does not serve his God. He's asking to bring resources to build the kingdom of God. And what I want you to catch there is that vision requires resources. And today, actually today is the last day of the year. It's the last day you can give in the upon this rock end of year offering. And maybe the thing that God's leading you to do or maybe stirring up in you right now is to start the new year with a God-honoring habit of bringing the first and the best of your resources to God with a tithe. And here's what I'll tell you about our church, is our church has no lack of vision. We, we, we 
see so far into the future what we could do to help more people, to resource more people, more people come to Christ. And here's some statistics that I wrote down just from this year alone and then the last four months. So uh, this year alone, we had over 200 salvations and decisions for Christ. We had... (laughs) Amazing. And I have two more from you. We had a 38% increase in unique viewers on our online. So that's people. 38% increase on our online platform from this four months to the last four months. And then our in-person attendance has grown 22% year over year in the last four months. God is growing our church. He's, and we're believing that he's going to keep growing our church. And so you might think to yourself, well, that's awesome. I'm glad your church is growing, but you're doing it without my tithe. You're doing it without my offering. And to some extent, this might surprise you. I would agree with you. We are. We're accomplishing all that God has for us without it. But what could we do with it? What, how much more could we do with it? With, your, with you honoring God with the tithe, with you honoring God with giving in this offering, how, much, how many more people could we reach? How, how much more could our outreach be radically generous to our city so they could see that the hands and feet of Jesus throughout our city? How much more if you would give? So that's my challenge for you today. As we end the year, today's the last year you can give in that offering, is that vision requires resources. So first thing we saw Nehemiah to do was pray and fast. And then the next thing he did was get resources to fuel the vision that God gave him. And next, he went to Jerusalem to inspect the walls. And this is what it says in Nehemiah 2, 17, 18. It says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king has said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Everybody say work. Work. That was pretty good. Yeah. All right. So this is my title for today is get to work. Okay. So I need you to tell with that tone, tell three people around you, get to work. And I also love what it said in that passage. It says, let us start rebuilding, start the work. And what I love about Nehemiah is that he was a man of action. And this is uh, how I like to think of myself, but I definitely do not have the wisdom of Nehemiah. I do stuff, but it's dumb. Um, He was a man of action. And I would argue, maybe, that the vision isn't the problem in your life. Because oftentimes, we just need to be reminded of the, the last thing God told us to do, so we actually do it. So I would say, may, maybe you don't know the vision for, that God has for your life, and I hope, to, I hope to God the Holy Spirit will help impart that to you today. But more so, I think it's more of starting the thing that God already asked you to do. I think that's a little bit harder, is actually starting on the thing that God asked you to do. And so what I'm praying for today, and what I, I really, really hope for 2024 for you, is that you would start to put 
your hands to the work God has for you. That dream in your heart that only you can do, that you would start this year, maybe today. And I'm praying not just for boldness, but supernatural Holy Spirit boldness that gives us the faith to start this year. And so what we can see is that Nehemiah cried when he heard about the brokenness. He immediately went into his calling. He got to work, and then he finished well. And so the three things I want to talk about today are vision, work, and finish. Vision, work, and finish. The, maybe a, the a easier way to remember it is crying, calling, and completion. So now I've already talked to you about the vision that God has given you for his life. And where I want to spend the bulk of my time is, the, is this part of the scripture where he started to work. And where he was operating in his calling. So let's go to our next passage of scripture to learn about how, he, how we reshape and reframe our thoughts about work. So we're going to go through about five verses in Nehemiah 4, starting in verse 6. It says, this is, we started to rebuild. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. Say, all their heart. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Say, end to the work. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The, armor, the officials posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. And I love this last part. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. So there's three things. We, we said them out loud. There's three things I want you to pull from this passage. Is one, in verse 6, it says, the people worked with all their heart. The second thing, in verse 11, there was an opposition that wanted to put an end to the work. And three, the people of God did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. So those are the three things that I want to pull and talk about from this passage. So there will be opposition to the work that we want to start and that we want to complete. And to get through that opposition, you're going to have to be ready to fight in one hand and work in the other. So let's stop for a minute and talk about one of the things that might come against us as we work to finish the vision that God has put in our hearts. There might be physical barriers or a lot less likely physical attacks on what we're working on like Nehemiah. But I want to talk about an ideology or idea in our culture that could make us stop the work that God has called us to do. So this idea or ideology, we can see it in our culture today. One symptom of this idea, so just the symptoms, is called quiet quitting. Have you heard about this? Where employees continue to put in minimum amount of effort to keep their jobs, but don't go the extra mile for their employer. This might mean not speaking up in meetings, not volunteering for tasks, 
in refusing to work overtime. And all the business leaders in the room said amen. Like, <laughs> I'm speaking directly to you. Because um, I, I, if you haven't talked to a business leader in the last year, um, what they'll tell you is they desperately need to hire people to work. And they desperately need the people they hire to work. <laughs> And we see this all over the place, all over, it. hopefully not in our church. We're, in our church, we work with all our heart. But in our culture today, we see this quiet quitting. Another kind of symptom of this, maybe you've seen this, maybe it's just the millennials, I don't know. But uh, something I see all over social media is the ideo- ideology that, that the sooner I stop working or retire, the better. So we're not doing it right if we're not retiring at 30 if we're not retiring at 40, or we don't have enough money to retire at 50. That's another symptom of this idea. In a book, that's an outcry of this very idea, and there's some good things in this book, but just the title alone, just is an outcry of this idea. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for four years, which is The Four-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris. Again, there's good things in it. I'm not saying all of it's bad, but just the title alone, the four-hour work week. So in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 11, the opposition to the wall wanted to put an end to the work. And I want to call this ideology what it is. It is not the kingdom of God. We are designed in purpose to do what it says in verse 6, to work with all of our hearts. So Jesus said it this way, if you need more proof, Jesus said this in John 4, 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So what is this ideology? I gave you some symptoms, but I want to give you what it is. The idea that is being perpetuated and celebrated is that rest is the reward and work is the resource to get to that reward. So let me say it again. The idea that we see today is that rest is the reward and work is the resource to get to that reward. So it's, again, what, it, what this is propagating is that, is that if we work hard enough and long enough, then we finally can get what our soul desires, which is rest. But that's not what Jesus said in this passage And what we can see in Nehemiah helped lead rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. Jesus was saying that doing the work that God has designed for us and called us to is the fulfillment that our soul really needs. He said that work is the reward. In other words, it's not get to work, but it's we get to work. So one of the main things I want to help you reshape in our minds for 2024 is that we get to work and that rest is not the reward, but work is the reward. And here's another instance where we can see that Nehemiah and the Israelites working, they faced opposition. So we're going to jump to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 and 8 and 9. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. Nehemiah speaking, saying through the messengers, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. I can't stop. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. I sent him this reply. 
Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But Nehemiah prayed, now strengthen my hands. So what's the sword in one hand as we work with the other? What's the weapon that we can use to combat this ideology of not working with all of our hearts and finishing the work, that the vision that God gave us placed on our hearts? It's saying what Nehemiah said to the messengers. It's saying, I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? So why should the work stop for us as Christians and leave a higher purpose and come down where culture is? That's my challenge for you about work in 2024. Because the lie of culture is what you can read in verse 9. And I love that Nehemiah said that you're just making up these lies out of their head. Meaning it's not God's thought. It's not kingdom culture. The lie culture wants us to believe is verse 9. Their hands will get too weak for the work and will not be completed. So another popular idea in our culture today is self-care. And before anybody gets super triggered, um, I want to pause here for a second because I don't want you to think that self-care in and of itself is wrong. It's not. It's absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But I would argue there is absolutely some, some bi- biblical truth to self-care when what this uh, idea is all about. And one of those things that is biblical truth about self-care is that we do need rest. We're humans. We need rest. And the reason the, why the pendulum has swung so far to treat yourself and uh, doing whatever you want so you can rest away from because the other extreme was uh, what we could see in our culture for so long of overwork. It's the reason why unions made a five-day work week. is because we were working way too much. And so culture did the thing it always does, is it swings the exact other direction in another extreme and says self-care is the governing way of life. And again, we do need rest. But instead of just swinging back and forth from doing nothing and doing too much, there's got to be a different way, right? There's got to be a kingdom way, a purpose-filled way that we can walk out. And I want to help you understand what that is. So how I teach my leaders about works is, is there's three levels to work. And it's like a speedometer. So you can go up and you can come back down just like the car would come up and down. And there's three levels to it. The first one is uh, your comfort zone. So that's where uh, we're at rest. And then the next one is called your purpose, where you're operating in your purpose. This is where you're supposed to be. This is where we're designed to be, to be fulfilling a God-given purpose in our life. And then the other extreme, which hurts my shoulder and it hurts us, is the overreach, the overreach that can happen. And again, we can kind of swing and go back and forth between all of them. And what I want to tell you is we don't need to either hustle or do the treat yourself. But what Nehemiah is teaching us is that working with all of our heart for the right purpose and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to finish well the work that God has given to you. So again, 
self-care or your comfort zone isn't necessarily a bad thing. And God talks about rest in the first 10 commandments he gave to his people, the Decalogue. This is the first thing he had his people write down, the rules of how to love him well. The fourth one, fourth commandment, Exodus 20, 8 through 11, says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and, then, and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor your foreign resi- foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So maybe this is what you need for 2024, is one day a week you stop. Maybe you're the type of person that it's, it's not self-care that's the problem, but you're working too much. You need to stop. And, and this was punishable by death, by the way, <laughs> if you didn't stop in the Old Testament. So this, this is something you take very seriously is you stop to rest. But it's not six days of rest and one day of work. It's six days of work, purposeful work, in one day where you stop and you say, thank you, God for working on my behalf even when I'm not working. Thank you, God, that even when I don't see it, you're working. I can pause because, God, you're good and you're, you're going ahead of me. Does that make sense about the Sabbath? So I, I, again, would argue, and this is where some Christians argue that the Sabbath is necessary and it's not, but I personally would argue if he commanded it, <laughs> We should probably at least have the thought, at least have the things that it does to our mind and our body. But I personally, we, something we put in place two years ago is we stop every six days. And I put my phone down as best as I can and stop with the text messages, the pings, all the stuff, the emails. And I just sit with the kids and with her and watch a movie. Rest. Okay, we got to keep moving. So what if the greatest enemy to finish in the work that God has given us to do is the way that we're defining rest right now? If I can get up in our business a little bit today, the solution is not having more rest as we have been doing it. And this might get a little spicy, but just stay with me. The reason why most of us don't have the energy or we can't work with all our heart, like it says in Nehemiah 4, 6, on things that really matter and the things that make an eternal difference is that we're mindlessly spending our life on things that don't give us rest. And I want to help prove it to us. So I could pick any number of different illustrations, but I would just want to pick three that are incredibly common. First, social media. So how many of you are involved in some form of, of social media? I am. And the second one is TV or streaming. And then the third one would be video games. So let's start, uh, let's start with social media. Uh, so how much time does an average person spend on social media per year? This is staggering. Crazy statistic. The average person spends 706 hours per year. This is the average person. So you could be more, you could be less, I don't know. But that's two hours every day on social media is the average. Now how much time is that? To really understand it, let's do a comparison. 
A traditional workday is usually about eight hours. So if you have 706 hours on social media, and you've divided that into just normal work days, that's approximately four and a half months of working hours that we spend on social media. Okay, let's move on to TV. Okay, it's a little worse. <laughs> this is uh, the statistic. Over, this is the average again. Over 2,700 hours a year is spent on binge-watching the latest version of our favorite shows. And I'm going to pick on the video game people last, because I am one of you. But uh, I'm definitely guilty as charged. Uh, the amount of time that I spent playing Halo, Call of Duty, FIFA, and NBA 2K is staggering. I could have gotten so much done with my life. But I didn't. Um, the average male, so this is just talking about guys now. The average male of this study, by the age of 21, spends about 10,000 hours on video games. So what can you do with 10,000 hours? I'll give you some options. <laughs> One thing you can do is at $10 an hour working, you can make 100 grand. That's one thing. Another thing you can do is if you're an average reader, you can read about 2,000 books. Another thing that you can do at 10,000 hours, you can probably become a concert pianist. Some of us in the room, maybe. <laughs> you can get a pilot's license. You can memorize the New Testament. You can get an undergraduate degree and a graduate degree in 10,000 hours. So my point in all of this to say is not to have a spirit of condemnation on what you're doing. But I want to call us into something that's more meaningful in 2024. And I don't want to have the spirit of condemnation or even bash social media, TV, and video games. All of those things are entertaining. And I think to some extent they do provide rest. But it's not the right rest. It's not the rest that Jesus was talking about in John 4, 34, where he said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Proverbs says that those who refresh others will they themselves be refreshed. The thing that is going to give us fulfillment is to work on the thing that Jesus worked on. It's to build his church, to make this broken earth more like heaven. So rest is not the reward, but doing the will of him who sent us and to finish his work is the reward. Rest is just one day that resources us to get to work. So Jesus talked more and more about work, but I want to come back to what it says in verse 9 again in Nehemiah. It says, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But Nehemiah prayed, now strengthen my hands. <coughs> Nehemiah prayed that God would help him by strengthening him to do the work that God called him to do. Really, that's one of the main reasons why Sabbath is important, but we need the Holy Spirit to strengthen our hands to finish the work. That's the point I want you to see. And that's the last part of my message is how to finish. And the last passage I want to read together is when they finish the wall. And it says this in Nehemiah 6, 15 through 16. It says, so the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, in 52 days. Say 52. 52. 
that's insane. When all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. I talked a little earlier about how there are three stages to work that are like a speedometer, meaning we can go up and down and back again. Comfort zone, purpose, and overreach. So to help you understand this, I want to bring out an illustration that came to my mind. Uh, this is how I usually teach it, is uh, with rubber bands. And thank you. Thank you so much. You got the strong man. Do that one. Thank you, guys. I like to teach it with the rubber band, and this is how I want you to think about it and remember it for this, this next year, and, and as you're thinking about what to work on, how to, how to work, is the rubber band at rest is in the comfort zone. It's just there. It's not doing anything. It's not doing what rubber bands are meant to do. It's just at rest. But a rubber band is meant, and Belinda, you can come on up. A rubber band is meant to take something that maybe wasn't held together. It's meant to stretch. Hopefully you can see it's stretching. And it's stretching to be holding something together. So that's the purpose, is when the rubber band is stretched. And that's our purpose. <coughs> I would say to you that if you're not stretching, if you're not growing... You're not in your purpose. And that is the rubber band there. And the last one, I love that we're using cinder blocks because we're rebuilding a wall in this passage. Whenever we're in overreach, it's when we've gone too far. It's when we try to put something together or work on something that doesn't quite work. And you can see, um, snapped. And there's a way, you know, you could tie it back together. And I don't know about you, but I've had so many times where I've snapped. I've overworked. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it can still fulfill its purpose, but it's a little bit different the next time. And, but it never quite could get the thing done that it was trying to get done because it snapped. And there's a limit, really, to what we can do. So when we're beyond our capacity and our limit, it's called an overreach. So comfort zone again, purpose, overreach. Now, what I want to draw your attention to is, is the, the metrics of the wall itself. It says the size of Jerusalem at the time of, of Nehemiah was around 135 acres, or 0.2 square miles. The wall itself was 2.5 miles long and 5 meters wide, going all the way around it, so 16.4 feet wide. And because they finished in 52 days, that would have had to have been rebuilding around 250 feet a day to finish in that amount of time. And just for context, I looked this up on Google Earth, it was about a mile that needed to get done on 23rd Street. And they definitely, definitely didn't get that done in 52 days. So this had to be a miracle. They don't have modern machinery and modern technology. Those guys need to get to work. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They're, they're fine. 
Um, but this, this does show us just how a, much of a miracle. This was a miracle that happened in 445 B.C. And from an outsider's perspective, this looked like, this looked like overwork. To everyone on the outside, or something that could not be done. And they said it in Nehemiah 6, verse 9, their hands will get too weak, and it will not be completed. Now, this verse reminded me of a moment I had with God this year, um, in January of this year. And every year, our staff and uh, we fast and we pray. And usually I do have three weeks of January just to start the year, give God the first and my first and best of my time of the year. So for two weeks, I give up sports and social media. It's awful, um, especially in January when the Chiefs are in the playoffs and Premier League soccer is at its height. But um, and then social media isn't as hard for me, uh, but I do it. I, I don't get on any of that stuff for two weeks. And then for one week, I fast food. I don't eat and I drink water and juice and broth and um, and all through that three, three weeks, I uh, um, pray. I'm more intentional about prayer. And something I felt like God uh, gave me the impression of this week is I felt like uh, he told me, Andrew, you can do all that's in your heart. You could probably do all that's in your heart to do this year. And we, Heather and I had set some huge goals, some, some goals that it only could happen if God did it kind of goals. And, he, and what I felt like he told me was, you could do all of those things, and uh, you could do it without me, but you would lose yourself. And, and then I, I thought what came next was, but what if you did it with me? You could have life and life to the full. And I want to encourage you all to have a, a, a word for next year, like a singular word. My, my word for this year was open. Uh, and I thought it was going to be about um, opening up our house to our neighbors because we hadn't uh, really met them yet and opening up our house and our lives to our friends and family more. Uh, but more so it was being open to the help of the Holy Spirit. And one of the greatest things I learned is that without God's help and without God's purpose in my life, I'll always just be a pendulum swinging from the extremes of comfort zone and overreach and never feel the fulfillment of purpose in my life. But what I learned is how I was teaching my leaders, I was getting this wrong the whole time. God was teaching me that we're supposed to work on things that are out of our reach. Like, we're, we're not supposed to do this. We're supposed to do this. I, I was thinking we weren't supposed to do this, but we're just supposed to use something that's a little bit bigger than ourselves. And so when we do that, let's see if, let's see if I can do it. I did it before service, but we'll see if I can do it. You gotta like twist it right there. Ah, I got caught on my finger. Here we go. Here we go. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can hold things together. We can accomplish things that we were never supposed to accomplish. And I want to just go back to the verse that we ended with. In Nehemiah 6.16. It says, because they realized that this work had been done 
with the help of our God. And that's my prayer for us in 2024, is that we would realize the God-given vision or rediscover it. Don't shy it away anymore. Don't press it down anymore, but realize it and get to work. Start on that thing that you've been called to do. And that our food would be to do the will of him who sent us, to finish his work with the realization that we need some help from the Holy Spirit.